You better not say you're going to be in trouble. Uh, he's cruising. Uh, so. uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Galatians. And boy, what weather change we've had. You know, just a couple days ago, it was in the 60s and 70s. And um, now tomorrow, the, it's going to be in the teens and single digits in some parts of Mississippi. Uh, and even some snow up north. I don't think the snow's going to get down this far, but we'll have some freezing rain. And so uh, be, be, be careful about, yeah, I would too. Um, and so just uh, be safe and be, uh, you know, alert to the weather warnings and things like that. And if you've got to get out and travel tomorrow and Tuesday, Wednesday, be especially careful and uh, aware of uh, the road conditions. But, you know, uh, so some change is good, some change is, is maybe not so good, uh, but change that is always good is the change that grace makes in a person's life, and that's what Paul, the whole book of Galatians is about this concept of grace, uh, and uh, as I reminded us last week, boy, we better never forget our need for grace because we all need it every single day. Even after Jesus Christ changes us, we still need grace. And when grace comes into our life, there's this ongoing, continual change to make us new and different. And I sure am glad about that. I hope you are too. What a marvelous and wonderful change that Jesus will make in your life. And I remind us, Jesus will take you just as he found, just as you are. No matter how rotten and how dirty and how messed up you are, Jesus still loves you and he will receive you just as you are, but he will not leave you like he found you. You better expect that if you're going to encounter Jesus and you're going to encounter grace, it is going to change who you are. Uh, And that's the point that Paul is making today. So let's look at beginning in verse 11 of Galatians chapter 1. He says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persuaded the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advance in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, But I went to Arabia, and I returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, And I was unknown by the face of the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us, now preaches the faith which 
which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. What a marvelous, wonderful testimony the Apostle Paul had. Uh, If there was anyone who deserved God to give up on him, it was Paul, because Paul was trying to destroy God's church. He thought he was doing the right thing, but he wasn't. And grace got a hold of him on a road toward the city of Damascus and changed his life forever. You see, perhaps you were like that at one point in your life. Perhaps you still are. Perhaps you know some folks like that. They think that they're walking with God and that they know God and that they're serving God. They're doing the right things, and yet they are so far from God. Because, you know, just knowing about God. Paul had all kinds of religious knowledge. And yet he really did not have a relationship with God because he was going about trying to destroy the work that God was doing. And he didn't know any better. He thought he was doing right. And God showed up, and grace showed up, and boy, did Paul's world ever change, and the world in general changed, because Paul changed. Aren't you glad for the work of grace that God wrought in Paul's life? And I hope you're glad for the work of grace that God is working in your life as well. Do you deserve God to care one iota about you? You really don't. You're not deserving of it, but I can guarantee you, no matter who you are, that God loves you, and God wants to extend grace to you, and he will. All you have to do is receive it. And that's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came, was born of a virgin, laid his life down, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, would be saved. And I'm part of that whosoever, and so are you. And when God says whosoever, he means whosoever. And I sure am thankful for that. So a few things about grace and how it changes us that I want us to talk about just briefly this morning. And the first is this, that grace changes our work. Grace changes our work. We, if you don't know Paul's story, I encourage you to find the book of Acts. Uh, and in book, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 9, is where God grabs a hold of a man named Saul and changes his name to Paul. He was a, a, a Jew of the Jews, he says in one of his other let, letters. He says, listen, I had all the credentials, I had all the trainings, Listen, he was so crazy that not only did he just go to Sunday school and church on Sunday, but and this is in our context, but he would have shown up on Wednesday. Not only when he showed up on Sunday, and even on Sunday night, if when we have Sunday night church, and Wednesday night, he'd show up on Monday. And he did. My goodness, he, he was serious about it. And yet, all the works that he was doing, and yet he was far from God. And he didn't have a clue about what God wanted to do, and what 
grace would do in a person's life. He didn't know. Because he never had experienced it. But on that road to Damascus, God blinds Paul. And Paul is wondrously converted by grace. Through faith. Nothing Paul had done. Paul's going about trying to destroy the church. And God gets his attention and God saves him. He says, listen, I want you to know that what I'm writing to you and what has happened to me and the things that I'm doing, uh, Paul very likely, this Galatia, uh, the letter of Galatians was one of the first letters that Paul wrote. Um, you know, he had gone on or was going on his first missionary journey at this point. Uh, and perhaps he wrapping it up and he said, listen, I've spent... A long time. I didn't when I when the Lord saved me. I didn't go to Jerusalem. That's where Jews would have went. That was what tradition would have dictated that they do. He would have gone to Jerusalem, and he would have found the apostles. He said, "I didn't do that. I went out in the desert, and I spent three years with the Lord. And Jesus Himself taught me and and nurtured me and helped me grow." and showed me grace and how it changes and can change. And then I went and I spent two weeks with Peter. And he said, I didn't see any of the... Why did he mention He He mentions that because he wants the people to know, and for us to know, that it wasn't just some concocted story by a bunch of religious leaders that Paul wrote what he wrote. And that he was experiencing what he had experienced. He experienced what he had. And he was changed. Not by the apostles. But by Jesus Christ. And by grace. And so it changed what his work was about. He was going about when the Lord saved him. And the chapter before that he had consented to Stephen's death. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. He was a religious, devout man that uh, was serving God in his church. And the Apostle Paul was there when he was killed because of his faith. Perhaps that was maybe the first time that Saul heard the gospel because when they were stoning Stephen, he preached the gospel to him. And so he heard about and then he was going about seeking, he had permission to rest, to bind up all the Christians he found and put them in prison. And God got a hold of his heart and changed him. And so he went from trying to destroy God's work and God's people and God's church to being a great impetus to expanding God's church. The Apostle Paul perhaps is responsible for starting more churches perhaps than any other church planner in the history of the world. A bunch of them. And those churches, what did they do? They went and they started churches because that's what they're supposed that's what churches are supposed to do. We when we receive the gospel we don't keep it to ourselves. We share it with others. 
And so G- Paul had experienced a change of grace that just turned his world upside down. He didn't keep it to himself. He goes and shares it with everyone he can, especially Gentile believers. Now I want us to understand that not only did Paul, as a good Jew, hate Gentiles, he hated Christians. But he, he didn't like Christians, but he especially hated Gentiles. He, he didn't like them at all. They didn't want anything to do with them. They, listen, Jews thought they were, you know, God's chosen and everybody else was dirt. And they acted like that. And so Paul, in, in what really is a work of irony, God says, Paul, I'm sending you not to the Jews. I'm sending you to the Gentiles that you have hated and avoided like the plague. You're going to go and you're going to live among them. And you're going to share the gospel with them. And you're going to start churches among them. And that's what he did. And a lot of the churches, especially in the beginning, they... They were kind of dual composed. There were Jews in those churches, but there were also a lot of Gentiles. And it became to be a lot more Gentiles than Jews as as the church expanded and went further and further away from Jerusalem. But when grace got a hold of Paul's life, he stopped trying to destroy God's work. And he joined God in what he was doing. And God used Paul's obedience and his willingness to preach to change the world. So grace changes our work. It changes what we're doing. It changes our priorities and what we're chasing after. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to change jobs if you become a Christian. The Lord needs Christian you know, mechanics and bankers and business owners and, you know, teachers. and That's important. I use Les as an example. She, she's a lot of my examples. Sometimes she likes it, sometimes she don't, and I hear about it at church, but anyway. Listen, could I tell you, I thank the Lord that she is a Christian teacher in a dark world that needs uh, the light of Christ, especially in our schools. I'm thankful for men and women like her that take the gospel. Now, they can't preach the the gospel. They can't hand out gospel tracts, but they can be the light of Jesus because I can tell you something. Leslie teaches differently than somebody that does not know Jesus. Now, two plus two is four, whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian teaching it. But the way Leslie teaches it is much different. And the way that you work and serve as a Christian should be much different. Several of you are business owners. You have your own business, and that's great. The Lord needs Christian business owners. And I pray the Lord blesses your business so, because, hey, you're tithing. The more money you make in your business, the more money you give to the church. So... I'm all for that. Now, I want the Lord to bless your socks off. But the world standards of business is, hey, you rob, cheat, and steal from people as much as you can because as long as you get ahead, that's all that matters. 
And I tell you that if you're a Christian and you're running your business like that, you are in big trouble. And you probably don't have the blessing of God on your business because that's not a way that honors God. But when you as a Christian say, you know what, I'm going to treat my customers right and I'm going to do what's right and I'm going to be honest, I'm going to have excellence in the things that I do, do you think that speaks not only well of your business? Can I tell you it also speaks well of your Lord? And people take notice of that. And so when they have a Langford window hanging in their house, that's a beautiful window. And it probably is. But more importantly, so you know what? That window was installed right. And it's going to last. And hey, that, that silly old grouchy man that put that window in, there was something different about him. And he was kind, and, and he was honest. And he did good work. I wonder what was different about him. And I know because I've talked to him, sometimes customers have asked him about his faith before he even opened his mouth. Because they could tell there was something different. And can I tell you, that's what grace does. It changes our perspective. It changes how we're doing our work so we can heed the words of the Apostle Paul in, the, uh, in Colossians where he says, whatever your hands find to do, do it as unto the Lord and not unto man. So grace changes our work. I want to call your attentions to uh, another one of Paul's letters, Philippians, just a few pages over. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 11. It says this, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, trash, garbage, useless, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, listen, I have all these attainments, I've accomplished all these things, and yet they're all garbage. They're useless except for Jesus Christ. Except for the trophy that I am, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done in me. And so when grace comes into your life, it changes our work. Not necessarily what we do, but how we do it. It also does impact some things, because before we found Christ, we were probably walking and serving the world. And we were doing things that we shouldn't have been doing. Well, guess what? When grace comes into our life, we understand we're not chasing after those things anymore. We understand that our life is under new management. And that's reflected in our behavior. The change has to start inside. But when that change, when grace has gotten inside, 
Can I tell you, it doesn't stay inside. If it really is on the inside, it comes seeping and oozing out to the outside. And if there's not oozing on the outside, then there ain't nothing on the inside either. And so grace changes our work. But grace also changes our witness. So Paul says, listen, I found grace and it changed what I did. It changed what I was after. But it also changed, changed my witness. And it changes our witness as well. No longer when grace comes into our life is life all about us. But now life becomes all about him. And I tell you something I found true in my life. I hope you found it true in your life. And if you found Jesus and grace, it, it is true of your life. That living with the Lord is so much better. You know, people thought they were living before they came to know Jesus. It's kind of like, I'm not big on seafood and fish. You all probably know that. Perhaps part of the reason is, is because I'm from South Dakota. If you know anything about South Dakota, it is landlocked. There's not an ocean anywhere around South Dakota. And so any shrimp that I had, it was frozen and probably shipped in a box. And so guess what? It's not really all that good. And the fish that I had, it was fish sticks, Gorton fish sticks. Now, can I tell you, that's not really fish. But when you move to Mississippi and you've got the Gulf Coast just a couple of hours, it, um, there's a, what's the place on the reservoir? There's one in Gulfport, uh, Shaggy's. Shaggy's on the reservoir. I, down there one time, down at the one in Gulfport, down on the coast. Can I tell you that shrimp? Mm, 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 mm. It's good. Why? The fish that I've eaten from down there. It's not that it came from Mississippi, although, hey, that probably helps it some. Amen? It was because it was fresh. It was different. And that's how our grace is to be in our life. It's supposed to always be fresh. It's not supposed to be frozen and warmed over. And the thing is, God has a dose and a supply of fresh grace every single day. And boy, we can avail ourselves of that. And so our witness becomes not about us and what we're doing, but it becomes about Jesus. And when our witness is about Jesus, Paul makes the point, hey, listen, when you found Jesus, that's when you finally have started living. So I call your attention to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, that great Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that's on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a, a, a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine, let your witness be before others so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to you? Nope, that's not what it says. So they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So they'll see the things that you do and they'll hear the things that you're saying and say, you know what? It's not that person that's doing it. It's God. And they'll give God the glory and the praise. And so it changes our witness. Who gets the credit? It changes what we do. It changes who gets the credit for what we do. But then lastly, and perhaps this is perhaps the most important thing, grace changes our worship. It's possible for even lost people to come to church to sing songs that are on the uh, screen or in the hymn book and not know grace. It's possible. But can I tell you that when you've experienced grace and you know you deserve to split the gates of hell wide open, but God loves you so much that he didn't want that to happen, so he came and he, shed, he lived a perfect life and then laid that life down on Calvary, shed his innocent blood for your sin debt. When you realize that and you receive that great gift, it changes how you worship. And so now you're coming and you say, listen, Praise God for what he's done for me. Sometimes I wonder if worship services are, and worship songs and the pre, aren't so dry because we haven't seen God do anything in a while, so the wood is dry. And then we wonder, well, what on earth's going on? Well, perhaps it's because we've not been experiencing God. And God ex- expects us and intends for us to experience him and His grace every single day. And that changes our worship. When when God is working in our life, then we come to church with a different attitude, don't we? When we're thankful for what God has done, and we're thankful for the mercy and the grace that God has extends, it changes our life It also changes our worship. It changes who we worship. Because left to our own devices, who do we worship? Us. And I tell you, they're not one of you who's worthy of worship. The Bible says there's only one that's worthy of worship, and you ain't him. But that one that's worthy of worship wants you to come and know him, and he wants to know you. And he wants to live in you and with you every single day. And when we have that attitude that Christ is with us every single day, and we're able to see the change in one another, and we praise God for that, that's something we're celebrating. Now what Satan will do is remind us of who we used to be. He'll remind us of our past. And he'll remind us of our failures. And yet you know what God does? God says, I don't care what you used to be. All I care about is what you're going to be. And what you're going to be is a redeemed saint. He says, right now I've set you free. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth has set you free. And if the truth has set you free, you're free indeed. 
But there's a whole lot of folks that don't live like it. They say, yeah, I'm saved now. And boy, I'm gonna, it'll be wonderful when I get to heaven. But can I tell you that God intends for you to have reward and blessing and effect of being saved here on earth? That's not just for the next life, eternity. It's for the here and now as well. And that's expressed in our worship. And so we praise God for the changes that he's made in people's lives. And when we come and we sing songs and we hear God's word preached, and when we see people come to the altar, when we see people get saved and baptized, that's something that we celebrate. Because that means that God is working and God is changing and that grace is still alive and well and grace is still working in our midst. And that's something to be remembered and celebrated. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so Paul ends this chapter. He says, listen, the church didn't know me who I was, but they had heard about me. And when I came, they didn't say, man, you were doing bad stuff. They say, praise God, God got a hold of your heart and you are a new person in Christ Jesus and that's something to celebrate. And so don't allow Satan to bring up your past. You remind him of his future because he's defeated. But you also don't remind others of their past and their failures. You support them in the works that God's doing in their life and extend grace to them. You come alongside of them and help them. That's also impacting our worship. Can I tell you that I've been in some church services, thankfully not in this church, uh, and thankfully not really in any church I've pastored, but I've been in some churches where it was evidence there was fighting and feuding going on within the church, and I didn't know anything about the church. I was from my town and just happened to be, I could t- you can tell. Boy, you know, they sang songs. Oh, they had drums, beating the drums and excitement and liveliness. And, but that was the deadest worship service because there was no love in the room. People didn't speak to one another and they sat divided. A pocket here and a pocket here. And as soon as the last amen was said, out the door they went. And I tell you, that's not what church is supposed to be. We talked about in Sunday school, we're supposed to love one another. We're to care for one another. We're to live life together. We're to have fellowship together. And we are to worship together. The writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So that's the practice of the heathen. The world doesn't gather together, but God's people gather together, not only because we're commanded to, but because God has gotten a hold of our life, and boy, we have found grace. And I know that if grace can change me, grace can change anyone. And listen, if grace can change you, and it can't, it can change anyone. 
And that's something to be celebrated. So when we come, we don't worship a dead God or a God that, that can't do anything about the problems that we have or a God that brings up our past and, and is holding it against us and waiting for the scales for us to do enough good to balance out the bad that we've done. That's not how God is. We come and worship a God that knows all the good, the bad, and the ugly about us, and yet he loved us, and yet he came, and he sent his son Jesus Christ for us. That's the gospel, and that, as I said last week, we must never, ever, ever get over our need for the gospel. But when we really have experienced Christ, it changes our worship. So that it's no longer about, well, how did the song sound, or was it fast enough, was it slow enough, was it the right note? No, it's, man, boy, did God show up, and God speak to our hearts through the singing and through the preaching of his word. And so our attitude changes. God doesn't change, but our attitude does. When we're reminded of grace and we're experiencing grace. So I pray that grace has indeed changed you. And I hope it's continuing to change you. I hope it never stops changing you. Until you get to glory. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. And Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for the simple message of the gospel that Jesus Christ came, born of a virgin, gave his life on the cross of Calvary to pay the sin debt of all the whosoever's in the world. Oh, that simple gospel message is grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it but what a great gift it is. Lord, our prayer is, if there's one here today that's never received that great gift, would you help them today to simply receive it by faith? Lord, maybe our grace uh, meter has gotten a little dusty, and so our worship's gotten a little dusty, and our witness has gotten a little dim, and our work has gotten a little slack. Lord, forgive us. God, restore to us the joy, the light of your salvation. Might there be one here that would just simply come and receive that gift. Simply pray a prayer such as, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I also know that Jesus paid for my sin debt. And I received that great gift of grace. Change me. Simple words, but a profound message and a great impact. Help us, we pray, to be your hands and feet. Forgive us when we fail to walk in grace and to extend grace. Help us, we pray. Let's stand together. We're going to sing this old hymn, Have Thine Own Way. If God